If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 4, amen, Romans chapter 4, praise the name of the Lord, amen, amen. This morning, I want to share a message entitled, Against All Hope. Against All Hope. There was a, uh, a little boy was going around door to door selling five-cent pencils. And his goal was, to raise money for a $30 million hospital for the community. Knock on the door, faithfully. Would you like to buy a pencil for five cents? I need to raise $30 million. You can imagine the challenge of that. And this one particular day, a woman opened the door and he said, Ma'am, would you buy one or two pencils for me. I'm going to help build a $30 million hospital for our community. And she said, excuse me, son. She said, that's a mighty big goal for just one kid selling pencils for only a nickel. And the boy looked at her and said, oh, ma'am, it's not me alone. You see that boy across the street? He's my partner. He's helping me. We're really doing it together. The two of them going around. This little boy had great faith in a partner who was probably his equal. More than likely, this little boy was selling no more pencils than he was. They were gaining no more money than he was. Should we not have this kind of confidence in a God who is not our equal, but He is greater than who we are. He is greater than what we can accomplish. He can accomplish more than we could ever ask or think. That verse of Scripture, it's one of my favorites in all the New Testament, and we've talked about it, and I've talked about it, but again and again, it just keeps coming back to me that He is Abundantly able to, he is able to do abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. That is, that God is about doing more for you than you are about doing your, for yourself. How many of you, I'm just curious, you still got dreams for yourself? Come on. Now, some of you, listen, you might say, well, you know, Pastor, I'm getting older in life. My dreams are kind of dying. Don't, don't let them die. But you got dreams. And for most of us, we imagine how great it would be. How wonderful that dream coming true would really, it would just, it would, you know, maybe make us happy or make us feel more comfortable in life. But you know what? Beyond that, brothers and sisters, you might be trusting in your own human efforts to be able to accomplish that dream. But today, I want to share with you something that I believe will help each and every one of you, that we have a God that we can trust in, that we can believe in, that when we are faced with the moment of our lives where it seems to be against all hope, we're going to find in this passage that we're going to read in a moment two different kinds of hope working here. 
But when it seems like it's against all hope, you can still believe. Why? Not because of what you can accomplish, not because of what, how you can rise to the occasion, but because of the kind of God that we are serving. We serve a mighty God. We serve a powerful God. He is all-powerful, the Bible says. He is all-knowing. He is, he is everywhere present to serve a God like that. And for that God to be called our own, brothers and sisters, you and I are walking into a situation in our lives that might feel impossible. It might be against all hope. And yet we've got to begin to look up more than we ever have in the past. I want to read in the Scriptures. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 18, going down through to verse 21. Listen to what the Bible says about Abraham. This is Paul writing in the book of Romans under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Inspiration simply means God breathed. In other words, God breathed into man what he wanted to say, used the personality of that individual, the linguistic abilities of that individual, and what God wanted to say came out on paper. But it was the man who received from God. Paul writes and he says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. We're going to dwell on that for a moment in, in just a minute. In hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now listen to this, verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. The idea was God said, way back in the book of Genesis, he said, you're going to have a baby. And they said, uh, okay, but how? Because, you know, I'm, I'm like a hundred and Sarah's 95, 90, whatever it was she was. I'm, we're too old to have children. But listen to what the Bible says. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, had never been able to have children up to that point, what would make her think that she could have children now? Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory To God, now here it is, verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Look, I could stop reading that scripture. We could just, we could go home at this point. But I want to talk about it a little bit because I believe that some of us here today need to hear this. Because in verse 18, and I'm just going to be taking this verse by verse today. Don't look for the fancy alliterated outlines. I don't have it with me today. But in verse 18, I want you to notice that the Bible says, against all hope. In other words, there was, according to the promise of God, whatever the promise of God was to Abraham, which was, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abraham was right around 75 years old when God spoke that to him. We've got to remember the span of time. Paul is writing and he says at this point, 
Abraham is now about 100, and it hasn't happened yet. So think about it. God promises something at the age of 75, and you're hitting at about 90, and you're wondering, when in, this, in the world is this thing going to happen? And then all of a sudden, he's getting to 99. And, you know, they're about ready to have the big 100th birthday party for him, you know? Where they put the, a million candles on the, the cake. And, and, I mean, Abraham's pushing 100 and still no child. Still not anything that he can point to that he is going to be, according to the promise of God, the father of many nations. Now, this is where it is against all hope. That is the kind of hope that we all tend to fall back on from time to time. And that is a fatalistic human kind of hope. That somehow, if it's in the hands of humanity, I don't believe it's going to happen. There's no way. That's why it says against all hope. There is no way, and this is where Abraham found himself at this moment, he found himself in an absolutely hopeless situation. There was no hope on a human, fleshly level, on an everyday kind of situation. According to biology, they're out of the game, folks. According to what it is that... that the, the humanity can accomplish, they were out. So you got to think about this for a minute. It says, against all hope. There might be something in your life today that you have come in with. That you have come to the place where you realize it is against all hope. Maybe... You've had the promise of God come to you at some point in the past and time has gone on and time has gone on. Think about this for a minute. 25 years, Abraham has to wait. 25 years. God shows up and says, when he's 75 years old, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And time goes by and it goes by and it goes by and it goes by and nothing happens. No little, no little baby, and it had to be a baby boy in order for that that seed to keep going and, and, and for the, there to be descendants. And, and so no little baby boy coming along any time soon. And he's having to wait and he's having to wait and, and nothing is happening and there's no situation like this that, that he can say, well, maybe I can do this. Well, Abraham actually at one point said, you know, let's try to fix this. Actually, it was Sarah who said, let's try to fix this. Let, you know, I'll give you my, my, my servant, uh, Hagar, and you go in and you sleep with her. You have a baby with her, and that, that's what. And God showed up and said, no, that's not the way it's going to be done. That's not, you know, Ishmael is born, comes into the world, and God says, but that's not what I meant. What I meant was I'm going to do something supernatural. Something beyond what you could ever imagine or you could ever think. Listen, for those who say there is no supernatural today, that there is nothing that goes beyond the natural world, can I tell you that God has been stepping into the world from time to time and He continues to do it to change lives, that God is a supernatural God. He can do whatever He chooses to do as long as it is in accordance with His character and His Word. He will go beyond what we can see. And that's what God was about to do. But the Bible says it was against all hope. 
the promise of God seemed to be and seemed to defy human kind of hope. It seemed to go against what it was that Abraham or anybody else could begin to think was actually going to happen. And yet, this next phrase that occurs here in this verse is so important. Here's what Abraham did. He saw what was against all hope, but here's what he did. Here's the second kind of hope. This is a different hope. So what did Abraham do? The Bible says, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. Wait a minute. It's against all hope, but now he's in hope, believing. What kind of hope is he hoping in? Well, you see, hope has to have a basis. The way we use the word hope, well, I hope this is going to happen, has no basis. There is no foundation to it. I hope tomorrow that I will have $4 million drop in my lap. There's no basis for it. Now, if you've worked hard and somebody just gave you a whole bunch of stocks and that stock goes up tomorrow and you sell it and you have $4 million, then you have a basis for it. But you know what? In the end, how many you got that? Nobody, right? <laughs> I was just fishing. But no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I say typical preacher. You know, always back to the money thing. No, we don't talk about that here. You know that. But you know what? When it all comes down to it, there is no basis for that kind of hope. It's a fatalistic kind of hope. But godly hope has a basis. It has a foundation. It has something that you can stand on, and it's a thing called His Word. So you know what? When it seems like there is no hope, no basis, humanly speaking, no basis in the natural world, nothing that says it's all going to happen the way that God says it's going to happen, and you look around, you can say, against all hope, I'm going to, in hope, believe. Why? Because the basis of godly hope is God Himself. We can come back to God and say, Lord, this is what you said. And you supersede everything that we see around us. You are bigger than everything that we see around us. Lord, I am going to trust in you. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what Abraham did. Abraham is, is pushing a hundred and he's still believing. He's still hoping. He is still trusting. He is still believing in what God is able to do. Abraham anchored himself to something that was more powerful than he was. He anchored himself. You see, the kind of hope that we read about in the Bible is actually defined out of the original language. It is defined as a confident expectation. In other words, you are expecting something because God is in it. Because God says, I want it to happen. Because God has spoken to your heart. And if He has spoken to your heart, then you need to hang on to what God has spoken rather than what you see. Thank you for those amens. Now, look at the connection between Abraham's believing for the promise and the actual promise itself. It says in verse 18, it says, Abraham... What? Really? At a hundred? Abraham really, he became the father of many nations. You see, believing says the promise isn't here yet, but I'm going to wait for it. The result 
is that of seeing the actual promise come into existence. Well, for Abraham, it was all of a sudden, at the age of a hundred, the cries of a little baby coming from a baby that was born to his wife who had never been able to have children and was now too old to have children, but now there is this little baby by the name of Isaac, which means laughter. You can imagine the joy of these two. This man experienced what God had promised. Why? Because he believed. Because against all hope, in hope, he believed. He believed. I realize that many times, for most of us, believing has to be associated with a feeling. I, I don't see anywhere in, in the Bible where it is actually associated with feelings. In fact, I find that oftentimes it stands in opposition to feelings. There are times where human hope stands in direct opposition to godly hope. Human hope says, no way. Feelings say, uh -uh, it's not going to happen. And yet godly hope says, I'm going to trust in the one who made the promise. The basis is still God. The basis is his word. I'm going to hope in him. I'm going to believe in him. I am going to trust in him no matter what. No matter what the situation, I will wait for it. The promise to Abraham was given that he would be the father of many nations. But the promise wasn't made to him until... He was too old for, to do anything about it. And yet we see later on, you, and, I, and I go back to this again, because you've got to imagine that somewhere along the way, somebody wasn't saying, you know, if they shared this with anybody, come on, Abraham, what's happening? No baby yet? No, no baby yet. But God's going to do it. God's going to work it. God's going to make it happen. Ah, oh, come on, Abraham. I don't think it's going to happen. Come on, you can't, it's, it's impossible. Verse 19 even says and points this out. It says this, let's move on to verse 19. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Think about that for a minute. How many of you have situations that you've got to face that you know are as good as dead? Done. Not going to happen. The Bible says he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was dead also. We make a big deal today about having the resources to be able to accomplish things and yet you don't need to look very long at verse 19 to find Abraham had no resources. He had nothing to fall back on. He had nothing that he could go back to that would say, this is what's going to fix this situation. Lord, this is how your plan is going to be fulfilled in my life. I'm going to make this happen. He had none of that. None of it. He had no resources to fall back on. The Bible says that he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. When it came to having children, it was impossible for he and his wife to have children. God had promised a son to them, and yet they were as good as dead when it came to being able to reproduce life. But it seems 
that God has something else going on. And it's sort of like this. Out of nothing comes something. Out of death comes life. Against hope, there is hope. And in weakness, there is power. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us in a day and age where we analyze everything, everything has to be logical, or for us, it's, it's just not, not right. This is what God has to say. You find it all throughout Scripture. Out of nothing comes something. Out of death comes life. Against hope, there is hope. And in weakness, there is power. What did Paul say to the Corinthians when he was talking about the thorn in the flesh and how he prayed to God, Lord, please, you got to take this thing away from me. Whatever this thorn in the flesh was, we don't really know what it was. doesn't say the Bible has no, doesn't give any clue to us about what it was, but it was something that, that plagued Paul. Paul couldn't get rid of it. He, he wanted it gone. He wanted to get rid of it. And what did the Bible say? He said, I prayed to the Lord three times to take it away. And each time the Lord came back and said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Paul, I'm not taking it away. I'm going to give you the ability to stand up under it. When you are weak, and Paul said, when I am weak, then he is strong. You see, you can't really see the strength of God until your weakness is all laid out for everything. You cannot know the power of God until you have relinquished your own power and your power is nothing. You cannot have the ability to see how powerful God is and how, how great God is until you decide that you can't do anything about it. This is when God is able to do something. You almost get the idea that at this point in Abraham's life, it's like God shouted from heaven and said, now I can do something. Sometimes in our lives, when we consider the thing dead, that's the time where God says, now I can do it. Now I can step into the situation because if he begins to step into a situation where you still got your hand in the pot and you still got your hand in there trying to fix it and trying to work it, then somewhere along the way, if God does anything in the situation, you can pull your hand out and say, look what I did. It's not about what you did. It's about giving God the glory and the honor that He is worthy to receive. Brothers and sisters, you and I have to come to a place where we understand that God wants to step into the situation and change it for you and change it for me. Why? Because He loves us with an everlasting love and His Word is true. You can count on it. You can bank on it. You can put your life on it. When He says, I'm going to do something, he's going to do it. It's just a matter of when. And sometimes we get like the prophet Habakkuk. How long, oh Lord? How long? Lord, please, can't take it anymore. And from time to time, brothers and sisters in our lives, we don't think we can take it. I've always gone back to that verse of Scripture in the book of Daniel chapter 3 where it tells us, that King Nebuchadnezzar heated the furnace seven times hotter than it needed to be heated. And, you know, we don't know what this fiery furnace looked like, really, but it just seemed to be a big fire pit, huge bonfire. 
And he said, come on, throw more wood on it. Throw more fuel on it. Throw it all on there and let's heat this, heat this baby up. Why? Fire is going to kill them anyway, right? You throw them in, they're going to die. He heats it up seven times hotter, thinking seven times hotter is going to get them. It's only mercy to them, really, in the end, because it gets them faster. Some of the guys going up to throw the three Hebrew boys into the fire were killed instantly because of the intense heat. But he heats it up seven times hotter to show the great power of God. He didn't know this, but the great power of God was all of a sudden these three Hebrew boys went into the fire bound, and then Nebuchadnezzar says, wait a minute, bring me a little bit closer, not too close, but bring me closer to the fire. I need to see what's going on in there because you know what? I see four men walking around in the fire. Who walks around in fire? That's been heated seven times hotter, so hot that the guys throwing them in die from the heat. What in the world's going on? It is the power of God entering that situation to show how great and how mighty he is. You might have considered in this situation that your thing is dead. Whatever it is, it's dead, it's dead, it's dead. That's the time that God can step in. Remember when Jesus was given word about Lazarus? You got to come. Lazarus is sick. The Bible says that Jesus stayed where he was. I believe it was two more days. And all of a sudden, by the t- Lazarus, while he is waiting, while Jesus stays where he is, Lazarus dies. And by the time Jesus gets to Bethany, where Lazarus lived. Now Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus delayed getting there. And now Lazarus has been dead. You see, they all believed that Jesus was able to heal. Somebody had blinded eyes. He laid hands on their eyes and, and they recovered. They could see. For the person who was couldn't walk, he reached down and touched them, or he just commanded them, take up your bed and walk. And something in them said, I believe that what he just said has healed me. I'm going to get up. And they get up and they walk. But the dead, they're not, not so sure about that. And we know how Martha came running to Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. You would have had the power to heal him. No, no difficulty whatsoever. But as we see the, the whole plan of God unfold, Jesus says, come on, let's go to the tomb. And Martha's like, no, Lord, you don't want to go to the tomb. And then he says, Throw, roll the stone away. But Lord, he stinks. By now, he smells. He's a, it's a dead body. It's a corpse. Roll the stone away. Why? Because he was about to step into a lifeless situation, and bring life. Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of God that we serve. We've got to believe that Jesus is able to step into your lifeless situation and bring life. That he is able to step into your problem, which you think has brought a swift death to your dreams, your hopes, your desires, your plans, all of those things, and that that somehow has died in you. But you know what? In the end, he is able to step in to that situation and bring it back to life, call it back to life. The Bible lets us know that that Abraham did not waver. Verse 20, it says he did not waver. Imagine that. 
though he's getting to the place where he knows this thing is done for. In the flesh, in, the, in our ability to fix it, it is absolutely done for. There is nothing that I can, to, can do to, to fix the situation, to make it happen, to make it turn out the way God said it was going to turn out. I, there is nothing that I can do. And yet in the middle of all of that, the Bible says that he did not waver. Imagine that. Well, the word waver... That word waver is used uh, in a number of ways or a couple of ways and there are some interesting thoughts associated with it. The word in the original language that is used for it. We find it in the book of James as well. You don't need to turn there but just listen. James uses this verse of scripture or he uses this word in a similar way when he discusses the person And how it is that we must believe and not doubt, he says, but when he asks, that is, that one who needs something from the Lord, he must believe and not doubt, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. The idea here is that it's the same word that's used for, trans, or for waver, but it's also found here the idea of doubting or being double-minded. That is the idea of wavering. You go back between two different things. Wavering, and this is what we want to see in this verse of Scripture that I just read to you. Verse 8 says, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Wavering brings instability. A lot of times we blame it on God. We think that God has brought the instability because the promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. And that is not what brings instability in your life. It is wavering. It's being double-minded. The one who wavers and the one who doubts, and James says, that man is unstable. Why? He blames it on the doubting. He blames it on being double-minded. Yes, God's going to do it. Nope, not going to do it. Yeah, going to do it. Not going to do it. It's all, it's just this back and forth. It's like a roller coaster that goes up and down in life situations. And yet Abraham, the Bible says, did not waver. He didn't doubt that God was able to do what he was able to do, even though it looked impossible. Many times we let our situations tell us how we're to respond to the promise of God rather than letting the promise of God tell us how we're to respond to the situation. Let the promise of God tell you how it is that you need to respond to your difficult situation. Not the difficult situation, how you're going to respond to God. Don't look at God and say, God, you know, this is all your fault. No, I don't think so. God tested Abraham for for so many years. And folks, for Abraham, by the way, when the baby showed up, the testing wasn't over. We know that. Because at some point or another, God's going to tell Abraham, go offer your son, your only son, your only son, on an altar of sacrifice. Go and do it. And the Bible says he went. Though God stepped in at the last second and said, no, Abraham, not going to happen. 
I see how much you love me. I see how you regard me, and I see how you trust me. You know why Abraham did that? In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, we find that Abraham believed that even though if he were to plunge a knife into the, the heart of his son on such a, in, in, an unbelievable command from God, that God was able then to come and to bring his son back to life. Imagine that. He said, okay, God, I'll do what you want, but I know you got to bring him back to life because there ain't no more babies coming. He didn't have any more. Just one, his only son. And yet we know the testing continued. It went forward, but the Bible lets us know that he did not waver. Now, there is something a little scarier with this idea of wavering, and it is this. Wavering causes us to contend with the promise rather than believe it. It causes us to be in conflict with the promise rather than believe the promise. This is difficult. The word, the word that is used for waver also means to contend. To contend. It is as if you were to point your finger at someone that they promised they would do something for you, and as soon as it got out of their mouth, you point your finger at them and you say, I don't believe you. That is contending with the promise. Somebody would say to you, well, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll come to your house and I'll help you to, to do something at your house, whatever it might be, to fix something. And you are to look at them, they've just made a promise, and the promise is going to benefit you and help you out, and you were to stand in their face and say, I don't believe you. Well, at that, they probably would say, okay, fine, I won't be there. Aren't you glad God is not like us? In fact, God is so much unlike us that, that the problem is, is that we think, try to to. to to mold him into what we want him to be. He's not going to be molded and shaped into what you want him to be. God is God all by himself. He goes beyond us. But God didn't do that. You see, because Abraham did not waver. He didn't contend with God. He didn't look at God and say, God, I don't believe you. That, that's it. I'm, I'm just, you know, all bets are off. You see, it's a dangerous thing for us to point our finger at God and tell him we don't believe him. Sure, we don't, you know, we don't really come out and say it like that. We're not that dumb. But, you know, in the end, we sort of, we live in a constant state of, you know, fear. We live in a constant state of doubt. We live in a constant state of worry. And all of those things are just simply saying, Lord, what you said isn't true. You know, God has to help us to have hearts and minds that will say, Lord, if you said it in your word, Though I feel in my heart that I need it to happen right now, Lord, I'm going to believe that you're still going to fulfill what you have promised. Maybe God has spoken to you through a verse of Scripture that you've read in the Bible and you felt, that's from me. You take it for yourself, but nothing seems to be coming about the way that that verse of Scripture was spoken to your heart. And you think, maybe God didn't speak to me, or maybe God didn't really mean it, or maybe I have just been too bad, and, and you know, all of those kinds of things. But you know what we have to begin to do is we have to say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. You know, God, God knows how weak we are. He knows how fleshly we can be. He knows how human we can be. And you know what? He's accounted for it all. 
God is not looking for perfect Christians. I realize that much of the world looks at Christianity and says, look, if you're not perfect, then you're, and, and even if you're, you know, pretty close to perfect, they don't really care anyway. It's not about that, brothers and sisters. It is about following the Lord with all of our hearts, giving ourselves to Him and saying, Lord, I'm going to trust in You no matter what the situation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. You might say, Lord, I can't take it anymore. How long am I going to have to handle this? And yet the word of the Lord is still true. See, when there is something so, there is really something so powerful in this next phrase. See, Abraham didn't just maintain, he gained. He gained. Uh, I, clearly, I'm not a weightlifter. Well, I lift my fork. You know, that's the most weight that I lift. But clearly I'm not. But I, I do understand that there is a difference when a person is working out and they are trying to maintain a physique, then there is a different workout for that than there is if they are working out to try to gain muscle mass, more muscle to look bigger, look stronger. Uh, there is a different kind of way of approaching that. In, in much of a similar way, Abraham did not just maintain what he had. Abraham gained. I want you to see this in the latter part of verse 20. The Bible says this, that Abraham was strengthened in his faith. He wasn't just, okay, I'm just going to get by. I'm just going to maintain. But the Bible says that, in fact, he gained strength in his faith. Why? Because when you believe, God comes down and he causes you to be stronger for the next situation that will come your way. The next test that is going to come down the road. You can trust and you can believe and you can hope. But when you're trusting, God is pouring in strength into your life for the next situation. Because we know that in this life we'll have affliction. The word strengthened or being strengthened in your faith doesn't come from anywhere within yourself. You might say, well, I've got to drum it up. I've got to somehow conjure it up within me in some kind of weird mental exercise. No, the word strengthened actually reveals something wonderful and reassuring about God. This word comes from the same word that we get the word power from in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It means to enable to empower, to increase in strength, and to be made strong. That seems to indicate that it comes from a source that is outside of yourself. It doesn't come from within. It comes from above. It is a power that is greater than anything that you have within yourself. It is the power of God coming to your life as you trust in Him, as you hope in Him, as you believe in Him, and you plug into that source. It's like, like the sound system this morning. It's plugged into a power source. All, all that the Brandon would have to do is unplug a key plug over here and it would take away the power source and I wouldn't be quite so loud. You might like that. But it, it, would, it would shut everything down. Brothers and sisters, when we plug into the power source, it is that strength can come to our lives at that point. 
This is why we need to pray, why we need to read our, the Word of God, read our Bibles, to hear what God has to say, to be strengthened. When you're in the middle of your situation and you can't find it within yourself to move on, you need to know that you can move on, not because of what you have within you, but because of what He will pour into you and He will give you when you trust in Him, when you believe in Him, and against all hope you believe. How is it that Abraham was able to build on this kind of strength with even more strength? Well, we should never ever forget that Abraham was a man who was in constant communion with God. Abraham talked to God. Abraham heard from God. Abraham was no different than you or I today. This is what we need to understand. He was as human as we are. He wasn't an angel. He wasn't you know, some other kind of being. He was just like you and me. And he talked to God, and he spent time with God. When you spend time getting to know someone, you find out whether you can really trust them or not. He found out that God had a great track record. He found out a long time ago that God is somebody who can be trusted. Listen, how many of you know that in life, those of you who have lived life long enough, that you've got friends that all of a sudden you realize, my friends can't be trusted in situations. There are times in life where you can't even trust in your own family for situations. All of a sudden, a brother or sister in your family, they turn on you, and you're like, you know, we're, we're flesh and blood. We're, we're family, and yet you find you can't trust them. There are people all around you that we know in life you cannot trust, and they cannot at times, sad to say, trust you. But you can always trust in what God has to say. He has a great track record. He has a perfect track record. And when he says he's going to do something, he will do it. He will do it. Last verse. With this I close. Verse 21. Notice what happened in his life. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham didn't walk around on eggshells and just sort of tiptoe around trying not to, you know, knock anything out of place in his life, worried that somehow he would do something, God's just, all bets are off, Abraham. He didn't do that. The Bible says that he was fully persuaded. He was fully convinced or persuaded that God would do it. This is the difference between faith and unbelief. Unbelief says, I believe he can, but I'm not, I don't believe that he will. You know, it's, 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 most of us believe God can do a lot of things. But the difference comes in is believing that God will. And Abraham, the Bible says, was fully persuaded that God would do it. That it would happen. There isn't much that you can be sure of in life anymore. We've become so cynical and skeptical about our lives that we aren't fully persuaded about much these days. But there is something that you can be fully persuaded about. And that is that God will fulfill His Word in your life. Some of you God has spoken to in the past and you've gone in a whole other direction. Maybe there's some young people in here. You've gone in a whole other direction. God has spoken to you in the past, and He said, i got a plan for you, and you've gone with your own plan. You've decided to do your own thing. 
Say, I don't want to do it God's way. But you know what? You need to know this. Somewhere, uh, somewhere down the road, God's going to get a hold of you. He's going to chase you down. He's going to chase you down. This is why they call the the Holy Spirit has been referred to from time to time as the hound of heaven. Like a a hound searching after his prey. Got, Got the scent, but he will find you. He will find you and he will nail you down. And I say that in a good way. He will get a hold of your heart. He will change your life. He will help you to live a life that honors him and pleases him. And he will go after you. Don't think for a minute that just somehow pulling back from it and saying, no, God, I'm just going to do it my own way, that God won't do it. God will. He'll show up. And he will change your life if you will open your heart just for a moment. And you know, sometimes God allows the difficulties of life to bring us back around to where we need to be. Maybe you've made some bad choices. Maybe it is today that you came into this place and you say, against all hope. Everything that I have in my heart is against all hope. It could be that today you have wandered away from God. And in that sense, it might be that it's against all hope. But today, can I encourage you in the Lord today that against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Step out of the fleshly, fatalistic kind of hope that we use and start stepping into the godly hope that says God is who He says He is. He'll do what He says He'll do. He will change the situation according to his plan. And you know what, brothers and sisters, I don't care what kind of bad choices we've made. doesn't really matter today what kind of problems you've had in your life. What matters most is that you and I would reach out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to believe in you. More than anything else, more than anyone else, I'm going to trust in you and trust in your word and know that you will come into my situation. Can I have every head bowed and every eye closed as the musicians just come back to the instruments right now? I want us just together. We're going to just pray right now. We're going to believe that God is going to minister to our needs. As as the musicians play the chorus, there is none like you. I want us just to believe together that it might be that you have come in with something that is against all hope. Today, I believe that God wants to help us to see not that the situation will change overnight. Most of us want that. But that He still has the situation under control. And that He will do what He promised He would do. We can't tell God when to do it. We can't tell God when to fulfill His Word and fulfill His promise in our lives. We can't do that. That's not our responsibility. But you know what our responsibility is to say, Lord, against all hope, in hope, I'm going to believe You. Lord, I'm going to trust in You. You see, our hope has a wonderful basis. It has a God who has a perfect track record. has a God who is all-powerful, a God who has the ability to do anything. But can you believe that he will do it? You might have come into this building today. You have a need in your life. You need the Lord to touch you. You need the Lord to help you. Maybe it is that you've been running from God. Maybe it is that you find yourself in a situation that is against all hope. I'm going to ask you to do something bold and just get up out of your seat where you are. 
and come and stand at this altar. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God. If that's you, just come forward right now. Why don't we all stand right now? Let's all stand together. Make it easier for us to move. You came into this place today. You need the Lord to touch you. Maybe a situation is against all hope today. But today we're going to step into His hope. We're not going to step into our own. If that's you here today, just move out of your seat. Come forward right now. Just come and we're going to believe God for His grace. Believe God that He's going to help us. Yes, thank you, Jesus.